All right. Hello, everyone. This is the uh, second part of our talk with Conservatarian American. This is episode five of Freedom Soul here. Yeah. Uh, so when you're talking about uh, health care was one of these on the issues you had uh, and, and gun rights are the same. Gun rights are a big rights issue, but I think that they're not they're not controversial for the same reason. It's not a question of uh, negative and positive rights. It's just basically people don't like them. And yeah, they're not really like okay, this is right. But with healthcare, I think it's it's really tricky. A lot of people think okay, this is a right of because it's something that people need, and I think that that has been tied way too closely things that people need you don't actually like have a right to that now that doesn't mean that people shouldn't supply those things which is why like charity is great and but that should be voluntary is how i see it and people should be you know being you know that's not to say it's absolutely good to be generous you should be generous but to take somebody else's money is just not generous right yeah that's not being generous that's being greedy and yeah a lot of times people actually accuse like okay these rich people are greedy well, maybe they are, but you're actually you're the, you're being greedy by taking their money or wanting to. Well, rich people just by statistical data donate more, but you could also say that they donate more because they have more disposable income. Um, but as for the notion that because someone is more well off or they have more property or more capital that we should take some of that away in order to give it to more people who don't have as much you're not being generous by giving up someone else's stuff that is not generous and uh, the, one of the issues with society today is that it's viewed as generous um, not, not only that but it's also not effective um, just because uh, and if you debate someone on health care, one argument that will come out if they're on the left is they'll talk about the um, inelasticity of demand in health care. What, what does that mean? Well, that means it's necessary, it's a necessity, and therefore, no matter what the price is, people will pay, uh, pay it because if they don't, they'll die. And you're like, look, that's completely correct, but then what? why is it that that is one of the only and there are others but why is that one of the only sectors that is a necessity that where yes it is being blown up because there's inelastic demand and people are willing to pay that price but why are the prices so high food is also a necessity and the demand is inelastic but the price is low and that's because there's more competition if I if I am in a sector that lacks competition I could charge whatever I want because one, I know everyone's going to, especially if there's an elastic demand, because one, I know everyone's going to pay it because they need the service or good I'm requiring. But also, I can I can charge I can only charge that amount because no one else is going to cut under me by charging a lesser price, and then taking um, and then having all the consumers flock over to them. If someone imposes a lower price everyone's going to go to them and then I'll have to lower my price either to their level or lower so that's the main issue with healthcare and decreeing it as a right declaring healthcare a right will does not incentivize its production it does not incentivize competition so all you're going to do by um, decreeing healthcare as a positive right 
is not actually tackling the issue, making it more expensive because then you have the overhead of government programs, it's not a government program that exists that spends less than the projected amount, it's always more, it's never even the baseline that they set out, is going to become more inefficient and you're going to be back at square one but it's going to be harder for you to get off it because you're going to have dependence on that system. So it's like a drug. Yeah, yeah. It's a societal yeah. drug. That's a great. That's a great. Uh, great analogy. Um, yeah, Matthew. I don't know if you have something to add to that. Yeah, one little thing I'd add is that consumers may just flat out not be able to pay, even if they think they need it. I mean, like, you can't raise. Yeah, you will get to that point. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, but even in a market where there is either a monopoly or so little competition and there are so few big companies that it's basically a monopoly, they can charge, I, over, I definitely oversimplified by saying that they could charge whatever they want because if they charge too high then to a point where no one can actually pay, then people just die and then their consumers die, but it's in their interest to charge as much as possible without people dying because they still need the money. If you die, they can't charge you. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, I think another thing is student loans. The government offering, like the reason there's like, you know, obviously right now there's talk about a canceling student loan debt. Um, I oppose that, of course, because the, there's just not money for it. You have to, the money has to come from somewhere. Um, but with that said, there is actually a larger underlying problem, and it really stems from the same thing where you have like kind of corporatist government subsidies, and the colleges, well there's actually two problems, part of it is the government subsidies, and part of it is actually I think people, uh, a mindset of people like going to college who actually don't really need to be going to college, yeah, where they're, you know, they're not getting marketable degrees and stuff. And so because of that, colleges have no incentive to, you know, they're, you're, they're basically like the government. They have no incentive to be efficient and, you know, cut costs and costs go up. And when the costs go up, people get larger and larger loans. And so that's, I mean, it, it, it's definitely a problem, I would say. Yeah, and also the chief, um, the chief um, way that these colleges and universities spend their money is not even on improving education it's on expansion of either the property of the university so getting bigger property putting up stadiums yep. um, basically their incentive is to make college life more fun not to actually improve education because the main drive for um, younger people nowadays isn't even the education it's the college life which ends in the education and the basically the problem of higher education is twofold in the United States. One, you have the subsidies which inflate the price of um, higher education. So, and I made a post about this. So this was actually like this was a meme I posted very early on in my account, but it was one in my opinion that had very high meaning. Um, it's a lemonade stand and it basically if you if a lemonade stand is charging 10 cents for a cup of lemonade and the government um, 
just like if they did it in healthcare or if they did it with higher education to create a right or they say look we need to have more people have access to this so we're going to give everyone these loans or not these loans we're going to give everyone money to go get this stuff it's going to inflate the price because then if everyone can come and get my lemonade because they're being paid to get my lemonade I then increase the price because the demands in, one the demands increasing and two I know that these people are going to be able to pay because they're getting help um, and then the other issue with higher education in the United States is that not only is the price being inflated by subsidies the demand is being inflated um, and becoming inelastic because um, culturally and rhetorically all basically we hear nowadays is you need a college degree you need a college degree when in reality um, it, de it depends what you're going to college for in all honesty I'm not gonna say it's not a requirement it depends what you want to do um, in I think trade schools are much more beneficial like if you don't know what you want to do I wouldn't go to college um, if you're not going to a, a STEM research, uh, like a STEM field, or if you aren't going um, for something that you can obviously pay off your student loans with, you shouldn't go. That's just common sense. Uh, if you're going for arts, I wouldn't go. If you're like, uh, I'm, I'm currently going to college, um, and I'm, and I'm doing economics. That, that's a field where you could actually pay off any debt that you concur there are other if you go for lesbian dance theory you're gonna be in debt for your whole life um, also a little bit unrelated note if you actually do solve the higher education crisis you will actually bring down the cost of health care because you have to, it's very expensive to become a doctor and that's why yeah. their salaries are actually so high because they have to pay off a lot of debt so by doing that you actually do bring down the cost of health care but like I said the issue with higher education in the United States is twofold one the subsidies are inflating the price and two the, re the rhetoric the subsidies and the culture around higher education in the United States is um, shifting the demand to the point where it's becoming more inelastic so where it's culturally becoming a necessity yep. because it all we say is oh you need this if you don't do this you're not going to be competitive and then so many people have a college degree that a college degree degree becomes worthless because everyone has it, it inflates the you basically have inflation of the worth of college degrees to where everyone has a college degree so it's like I said it's worthless um, so it's basically just the new high school diploma yeah, and you had touched on this, but this is really the same thing. Again, this is people, a lot of people are saying, okay, you have a right to be educated, you know, just the same as you have a right to health care or whatever. And again, this is a positive right, and this, the supply doesn't come out of nowhere, and yes. it's coming in the form of huge, huge amounts of money that's just not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, and... It, the the just as you said the the system itself is completely unsustainable and then the the and not only that the systems and the sectors are unsustainable the these unsustainable sectors are being held up by a unsustainable force which is the United States federal government which is now 
about to be 28, if not already. The last time I checked, it was 27.9 trillion. So it should maybe around now be 28 trillion dollars in debt. So, look, if if you're banking on the federal government for um, stability, it itself is is generally unstable. So I wouldn't depend on it. Remember the good old days of 19 trillion. <laughs> Yeah. It, oh my God. Good old days of 19 trillion. Yeah. When, back when we were talking, well, not us, but like just in general, like we were talking about um, reaching 19 trillion dollars, and we're like, oh, it's the end of the world. Now we're at 28 yeah. trillion. Now I'm really wishing I was back in the days when it was 19 I mean, trillion. I, I never thought I'd say that. Just prove yeah. Keep going forever. Yo, just wait. Just wait. Four years. Not even, like six years from now, we're gonna be like, yo, remember when we were at 28 trillion dollars in debt? Yeah, <laughs> those it's are the good old like, days. You're like 2080, and it's like government yeah, we're gonna be, gonna be like <laughs> purely paying off debt, no other government programs, and we're gonna be like old and like. We well, it's gonna surpass the military budget soon, but just yeah. interest on the debt. But like now, we'll like in 15 years from now, we'll be huddled on the streets and with these trash cans full of cash, like burning them for heat. He's being like, yeah, remember be, when we were 28 trillion in debt? We're totally Remember that? Yeah, it's gonna be like Venezuela or like Germany after they inflated their currency and they're just yeah. burning it. You gotta either make your own currency or just or barter with people in your community. It's like the only way at that point. Yeah. No, but it's 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 a huge it's a huge issue. Like, it's basically it's um the deficit is basically the equivalent of the the left's climate crisis. Except it's much more impending <laughs> than yeah. the climate crisis, because uh, the thing about the climate change st um, statistics, and I do think it's—I'm not bashing it at all. I do think it's a real issue. I think it needs to be um, taken care of with every with with what we got, um, without infringing on other. Huh? Matthew's actually causing climate change, actually. Oh yeah. He, yeah, he mows his lawn so much. He's actually, yeah, he's, he gives off so much, <laughs> so much uh, fossil fuel, like, yeah, like exhaust from his mower. I have a burn barrel, I just put my trash bags in there. Plastic snow it would bag. actually probably be worse for you to mow your lawn by just getting a cow and having it eat your lawn, because they fart a lot, but do. AOC doesn't want you to own cows, but... But they taste so good. They taste good, yeah. They do. Um, AOC but... really go without McDonald's. <laughs> But yeah, no, we definitely do have to tackle climate change, but I, I see that becoming a actual crisis, like, long-term in the future. I don't see it in, like, 12 years, like they're saying. They've been saying, like, those studies have come out, like, decades ago, um, saying stuff even worse than what we're seeing now, and they didn't come true. So there's a point where you don't really believe it anymore. But I do think it's an issue. I think that there are going to be effects that happen. We just don't know when. I don't trust the studies. I, but I do trust that something's going to happen eventually, it, which is actually kind of scarier because it could be before the studies, but we don't know. So since everyone's crying wolf, you, you don't know anymore. But um, with the, with the, we're already seeing effects of the United States uh, budget de deficit. Uh, just like the international, just international organiz organizations um, say like if you get past like, s I believe 66%, of your GDP and debt, you, you, your economy actually slows. 
um, and that's one reason why like post World War I mean like pre World War Two like a little bit post World War Two like Cold War era like pre depression our growth rates were like five six seven eight percent and now like nowadays you get lucky if you see like three and a half so that that's one way that we're actually already seeing that problem and that's not even one of like the catastrophic things that's like we could be doing better but it's tampering our growth eventually it's gonna get a lot worse to um, to the point where we have to solve it and it's, and then there's possible inflation in order to solve it, it depends how how long we wait uh, but it will come to the door and it's gonna be bad yeah. It's either 60 or 66%. I don't remember which, but yeah, around there. I think it's around like 110 right now. I think so, yeah. Oh, oh, our debt right now, it's... <sighs> yeah, debt to GDP, we're like around 120, I believe. Around there. Insane. Around there. I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it is definitely around there. But... And I don't know if it scales. I just know once you, I the data just says once you pass it. So I don't know if that just scales. So like, if we get to three hundred percent, are we going to be stuck at one percent growth? I don't know. Um, but like that's a theory. I just I honestly can't tell you. Um, I do know based off the data that uh, once you do pass that amount, you have reduced economic growth, which is one of the main reasons why we don't have eight percent growth anymore. Actually, funny, funny enough, just this year, um, the fiscal year of 2020, the UK lost nine, uh, basically 10% of their GDP. Their GDP dropped by 10%. We dropped by like 3.5% in 2020. Wow. So we basically lost a year of good growth in 2020 from much, the lockdowns. How much, uh, how much debt does the UK have? Debt to GDP, it's less than us. I, th I believe it's around 80. Okay. It's a lot less than us. We have the most debt in the world. Per capita and per... Not percent, not percent. But per capita, yes, definitely. I I think Japan has higher debt than us percent, but I could be wrong. I don't have the stuff right in front of me, and I haven't checked in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to... The thing is, it's going to have to get solved one way or another, and... It's not going to be pretty, to be honest. However, it gets well, um, yeah, it's it's not going to be pretty, um, but it definitely depends on how long we wait. Yeah. Like, if we start if we start now, it's manageable. Um, like with the budget, like if you actually followed the Constitution, followed the Tenth Amendment, which says. Look, if the if the Constitution does not um, say the federal government has this power, this power either goes to the states, to the localities, or directly to the people themselves. Um, the gov the federal government doesn't take care of it. And so, basically, in summary, the federal government is only supposed to cover enumerated powers. If you got rid of government programs, which you could definitely say, there are others that you could probably debate. But you could definitely say, do not fall under the enumerated powers. You 
basically cut the current budget not the current revenue but the current budget in half from four to two trillion um, and two trillion if you had a budget of two trillion um, and you had the Trump just the Trump tax cuts so you got rid of the payroll tax got rid of the gift and estate tax whatever the other all the other federal taxes and you only had the Trump in income tax um, producing the revenue for the federal government you'd still have a surplus of a few hundred billion dollars um, so this isn't even that isn't even an argument for getting rid of social programs that argument you could still have social programs but the states would run them so each state would get to run their own social program if they wanted to and the people would still get to decide I would wouldn't vote for them in my state but constitutionally the states could have those programs um, but just by US doing that states yes state yeah state constitutions it depends the state but under the US Constitution the states could either change their constitutions or if the programs are constitutional just run them themselves um, their own individual state-run programs just by doing that you cut the budget in half you um, have and you could also cut taxes with it have a few hundred billion dollars in surplus and and start paying off the debt and then but you have to you also have to remember the states actually um, might actually not be able to support those programs because many of the states are also in debt <laughs> so the states that's something the states have to um, handle but the states aren't in <laughs> uh, 120 percent to GDP ratio of debt <laughs> So that's that's their problem, and the people have to be responsible at, at the states. Um, the, but the federal government, which is the one that is in charge of the currency, which is the reserve currency of the world, um, it's very important to get that under wraps. Yeah, and I was not saying that it would be really catastrophic to solve the debt that way. I mean, it still would be a huge thing. The problem, I think, is I don't think that that's at all realistic. Like just the way that, that uh, U.S. politics... Oh, no, it's I not. <laughs> I don't think there's really any chance of that happening. So, yeah, if that happened, it'd be amazing. You know, we'd be out of, we'd be out of debt at some point. Uh, and it would be going down, at least. Yeah, we, uh, we well, in, yeah, in order to get rid of the debt first, like, if you're, if, if the debt is water, and each deficit, and basically we're flooding the basement right now, first thing you do is you plug the hole so you stop running deficits and then after you stop running deficits you could get a bucket and start shoveling out the, the water out of your basement uh, through surpluses and using the surpluses to pay off the deficit or by um, paying them through um, getting rid of other programs and using that funding for the debt but you do have to plug the hole before you get the water out because if you start shoveling water out which is basically the current establishment program is we're basically paying we're so we're paying off the debt and the interest that is as it comes in so we're scooping up the water but we're not plugging the hole and right now more water is coming in than we're scooping out so eventually it's going to get to us in the attic and once we, and if we deal with it now it's a lot more it the austerity measures are going to hurt people because we have de one we have dependence um, if you if you do it by cutting spending you're going to hurt dependence if you don't move them to a state system um, 
if you do it by tax increases, you're going to hurt everyone else. If you do it through inflation, you're basically taxing everyone's savings. So the best way to do it is to cut, to cut spending in order to plug the hole. Or, and if you don't take care of it at all, then it's probably going to end up being tax hikes and inflation, which won't happen until the water already gets to us in the or attic. The house rots and collapses. Yes, or yes, or the house rots. That, that actually might be a better analogy. Yeah. And I mean that would be like a complete societal collapse, which I mean it's not imminent necessarily, but yeah, that is the end result if nothing is done to stop it. Well, if if nothing is done, and then. If nothing is done, the only until it's too late, um, depending on how you define too late, um, the two things that could happen is the currency and, the, uh, and possibly the society collapse, which would be the house collapsing, or basically um, we all have to deal with the fact that we lived in luxury for a century at the expense of the future and then for the next century we're going to be living in basically slums in order to pay off the past luxury. So society could still um, survive after the fact depending on how it happens, when it happens, um, but there's but we're going to be very poor because of it because we're going to inflate the currency and we're going to take more money from people. Yeah. Well, I know this has gone on for a, lot, a long time, and I don't want to keep you forever, but um, yeah, I don't know if you or if, you, or if Matthew had anything more to say. I like what you said about uh, inflation as a tax on people's savings. You know, I, I like the idea of currency, but not of fiat currency, you know? Yes. Yeah, well, we're currently living under fiat currency. It's not based on anything. We got we uh, ditched the gold standard um, in the 70s, and we're the currency isn't pinned to anything right now. I'm not, I don't even think we should go back to the gold standard in particular. I just think we need to pin it on something. Because if not, then you just print as much as you want, uh, no matter what. Yeah. It on the price of cows, which will be scarce under this new green deal that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, what we could do is we could pin the currency on automatic um, ass assault weapons, which the production of was ended in the 1980s, so they are scarce now. And, and Democrats <laughs> don't know that they're scarce, so they'd be happy to do that. Yeah, Democrats well, if you if, everywhere. if you so pin the if you pin the money on um <laughs> just for the meme of it on on automatic assault weapons which do, people do own in the United States but you have to have a certain license and you have to have inherited them um from someone who owned them to pre 1980 whenever it was passed um so they're very yeah so it's basically like ancestral they're like they're antiques so if you pin it to that, then <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you have something scarce. <laughs> but no, maybe silver is the way to go. There's a bunch of things. You just got to pin it. You got to pin it yeah. to uh, something that you can't really manipulate that much. Legos. Cause, 
you know, the currency is currently way too unstable. It's going to collapse, and the worth of it has completely decreased since the creation of the Fed, and then we got off the gold standard. So it's just, it's silly. It's silly at this the value, point. The value of a Lego brick is actually probably a lot more stable. Yeah, you know, I can't are, wait to... Those things are pretty constant. <laughs> until you step on them. Then you want to chuck them out the window. You don't want them anymore. They're valuable until you step on them, then you hate them. Yeah. But yeah, the only value that is in the current currency is that people believe in it. And that, and that people are mandated to accept it. Like, it's the law. You have to accept U.S. currency, so... Including well... foreign nations. In the U.S. Their, well, yes. Their uh, belief in the value of the dollar that we keep continuing. Yes, yes. The one of the reasons that we've have made it this far, like for instance, I don't think the U.K. could have made it, will or would have made it this far um, as we have, um, because their currency is not the reserve currency of the world. Um, we have the benefit, excuse me, of having our currency as the reserve currency of the world. So we have much more. Um, mm -hmm. artificial stability um, if that's the best possible term um, if uh, I, it would have probably collapsed a lot longer but look as the dollar becomes less valuable becomes more unstable more countries are going to move away from it and that's going to be one of the biggest um, tells of how long we have how long the US dollar has is how fast our countries moving away from it replacing it as or replacing the US dollar with a different reserve currency whether it's the yuan or they just start or they or anything really it doesn't have to be the yuan but the yuan the yuan is um definitely being looked at by certain nations um who are moving away from the dollar currently but yeah fiat the only thing even with the even without the law if if you don't have the law, uh, it, even with the law, people can still barter. The only thing that has the is makes a fiat currency valuable is the belief that it has value, because it's not pinned to anything. So if I give you a dollar, you just you take it and then use it with the faith that a dollar is worth a dollar and that it can get you things. If no one believes a dollar has worth, then it doesn't have worth. <laughs> right, because it's just a piece of paper, right? It's a piece of paper that says in that, that I have confidence that a bunch of other people are willing to barter with, but there's nothing like yeah. fundamentally that forces them. I mean, yes, there are yeah. laws in some cases, but if I want to, say, buy, buy something at a yard sale or something, like, I'm, I just have the faith, like you said, that that person at the yard sale is willing to sell me something for the dollar you gave me. Yeah. And that there's some and, in the value. And, and people do have to accept dollars under current law. There are certain states like Hawaii that actually just unanimous, unanimously through um, whatever committee um, are moving to make gold and silver legitimate currency, which hmm. I'm not sure if they could actually legally do that, but they're pushing for it. And that's a Democrat-run state, so which is good and surprising. But monetary, which, yep. which actually, no, it's not that surprising because monetary policy, people don't really talk about it. So people might just be, they might just be like, yeah, sure. But, um, um, even if you mandate people accept the dollar, if you think the dollar is unstable, there's 
and you are selling your own property like say like you talked about a yard sale if I don't believe in the dollar and I still have to accept the currency what am I gonna do I'm gonna raise the price because look I don't accept the dollar I don't, I don't think the dollar is valuable but maybe I think a thousand dollars look other people accept that uh, I don't want one dollar for my box I'll just make it a price that is way too high yep. so you won't buy it I don't have to accept your money and if you actually do put up that money because you're a fool then I'll just go buy so something with a dollar I don't believe in before it collapses So, uh, the fiat it's currency, it's all about, currency. it's, yeah, it's, it, you want. it's all about belief. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even if you try coercing people with any law, if you, if you, the idea of your system, if the, if any idea cannot survive on its own merits and it, and requires force, it is by definition not an idea of merit. Yeah. Um, it's a weak idea. Um, so, yeah, you could force people to use the currency, but with any policy, if you don't actually believe in it. Um, I think JFK said it best in actually his civil rights address. Um, law, um, law alone can't make man see right even if you believe the policy you're pushing is right and it pushes an outcome you want it's not going to change people's minds and if they don't believe in it or they don't like the policy they're going to find ways to circumvent that policy they're going to find loopholes um, in order to circumvent whatever outcome you're putting on their lives yep. and enough, if enough people think that uh, that it's like a major problem and for a lot of laws there's some laws like murder that have to be illegal because like one person can have a major problem but if it's laws that it's like you need a large portion of the society to go against it to cause a problem well then that portion of people will just vote for different politicians change the laws and you'll you'll have gotten nowhere by making those laws yeah yeah well the united states has a long history of that long history of that whether it's with, with like prohibition just it, it, there's a long history of that they make stupid laws people don't actually follow the laws and then and this is how the war on drugs is going to go um you got you got some stupid laws um they're either not really enforced or they're very hard to enforce or they are a detriment to society by enforcement and eventually they either become obsolete or there's a public outcry for their abolition Especially from Matthew. Matthew always. Matthew needs his drugs. Hey man, if if he needs if he if he pops, I'm joking obviously, but if he has to pop some Zans to mow his lawn five times a day, that's his prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Of course, of course. Yeah, I'm joking too, but obviously. But, yeah. Well. Even with like a, a currency that is backed by gold, I mean, you're still taking the word that, that you can redeem it for gold. I mean, of course, it's yeah. sounder. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's faith. Well, that's 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 faith. Um, if yeah. Well, any society, any portion of anything in society is built on faith. Any like just everything in general is based on faith. Like if you're driving up a hill. Um, 
you are driving up that hill with the faith that someone on the other side of the hill that you can't see um, is not driving on your side of the road towards you so when you guys come to the top you won't crash into each other so but the difference between a currency not pinned by gold and or any a fiat currency or something that is pinned on something is that it will it can be traded um, with something else of value for a particular amount of said value um, so you are doing it on the faith that it happens but it is at least codified to be legitimate where whereas right now it's not codified as and pinned against anything so 10 years from now um, they could like I believe one-third of all dollars were printed last year all dollars that have ever existed were printed last year really yeah but um, it's it and it's not resulting in inflation because it's not being spent it's it's being um, it's in people's bank accounts um, on the upper on, on the upper in the upper um, echelons of the economic ladder there's a lot of people who are holding the money and since it's not in actual circulation it exists it's in, it's legally in circulation because it's in public access but it's not being spent so it's not being it's not resulting in inflation once that money is spent it's going to result in inflation but as for yeah yeah in 10 years you don't know how much money they're going to print or how much inflation there's going to to be there was a lot less inflation when we had when we had uh, more legitimate currency and we didn't have especially when we didn't have a central bank yeah it is kind of weird though like even with gold you're still relying that like people I mean, and it's it is it's been constant weirdly for like forever pretty much. But you're relying that people think that this like certain combination of you know neutrons, protons, and electrons is like cool to have. <laughs> well, it's not that it's cool to have; it's that it's scarce, and because it's scarce, um, you can't inflate it. Now, the one way that you can make it not. Well, it, the whatever you pin currency to doesn't actually have to be valu valuable. Oh, it just so, has yeah, to be yeah. scarce. Um, like, and the only way to inflate the price of a dollar that's pinned to say gold, if we work in the assumption that we've actually mined a lot of gold in, in the United States, so it's still scarce and as a natural resource. Like I saw this um, infographic that shows all the gold that we've actually mined compared to the pyramid, and the pyramid dwarfs the cubic block of gold. Like it's not even close. So there's actually not a lot of gold. The way that you could inflate a currency that's pinned on gold is if we started asteroid mining, and but that's way out there. <laughs> and then we started bringing that here. That's the only way that you can inflate something that's pinned to it. Like if we inflate it on cows, like we joked about. Um, the only way to inflate, uh, well, if we pinned it on cows, like we joked about, the way to inflate that currency would be to breed more cows at a faster rate than cows die. Um, it doesn't have to be valuable in order to uh, 
It doesn't have to have inherent value. Actually, you would probably want it to not be valuable. Because if you want, if you had something that is valuable, then you're going to use it. And if you're going to use it, you shouldn't pin it to something because you need to use it for something else other than being a pin. If that makes yeah, sense. That's true. Which means maybe gold isn't actually that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, like I, I don't think we should pin the U.S. dollar to insulin <laughs> because we need to use insulin for other things than just having it sit there and exist so we could ha uh, trade it with the dollar. <laughs> Well, people have more to say. I don't want to stop us, but uh, it has, uh, I don't know if we're, uh, it's kind of slowing down a little bit, so I don't know if people want to keep going if we're kind of done. I mean, if you guys don't have anything else you want to talk about, we can this whenever you guys want. Matthew, what are you thinking? I've said it. Um... What do you think about the, uh, like, how far, like, um, how far would you pursue, like, the ideal of all negative rights being respected? Like, can you, can you change, is it even possible to change society for better without doing things that like aggress against people's natural rights. I mean I think there is but what do you think about that? Wait, what do you mean by that exactly? Like is there a way is there are there ways to like to get meaningful change in society without violating some parties like natural rights or aggressing against them? Well, the thing about natural rights is they don't apply to certain parties. Everyone has them. Their uh, natural rights are inherently equal rights. So if you um, pursue a policy that infringes on natural rights in some way, you don't actually infringe on certain people's rights instead of other people's. You're, you infringe on everyone's rights. Now there may be certain people who um, exercise those rights more than others um, statistically, but you still are infringing on everyone's rights. Could you uh, could certain policies be effective and trample on people's natural rights? Um, yeah, theoretically, yeah, you could have things that are effective yet immoral. Um, would I advocate for those? No. I uh, did. Did that answer that question adequately, or did I leave a point out? Mostly, except the. Uh like the, the ends justify the means like so like ideally you wouldn't be in support because I, I haven't quite read when I head around it like do you like do you is it ever right to like do something directly against someone the greater good um well the thing about policy is policy is trade-offs. Now, it, that is a, a more of a subjective question. Um, that's a judgment value for individuals to make. Do you, 
think that a policy just because it's immoral but it does something good um, just because it might do it could theoretically do something good but it also does um, infringe on people's natural rights should we pursue that I mean if the answer was if everyone believed the answer was no Democrats wouldn't exist and many republic and also many Republicans won't exist <laughs> but um, but if you look just at rhetoric most Democrats wouldn't exist the uh, Republicans with rhetoric and actual actions are very different in those spheres but um, like taxation let's look at taxation taxation is theft you you are whether you think it is moral just because something is less immoral does not make it moral just because look we have the society if you believe we have the society and therefore we have to mandate um, people to fund the society or fund the government which oversees the society um, or serves the society however you put it and in order to that do do that we have to tax people look I do think taxations is theft and if I could replace the tax system with a voluntary voluntary system of of funding I would but is that realistic right now no so am I going to advocate for that no with that said I, I am for moving towards that um, I think I, I I think that's an an example for that is, is that an, is that an accurate characterization did that was that a good example of what you're talking about or that pretty much I pretty much agree with that I would definitely move toward it at least yeah, yeah. but we're not even close to that I don't even think that's I don't think that's gonna happen in my lifetime yeah although something that could maybe happen it would still be super far out but maybe moving some of these like you know like like social security for example before, I, obviously, I wouldn't even advocate for it to exist at all as a governmental program. But maybe something that, you know, the stepping stone to getting rid of it fully, we could have something where it's like a voluntary system. And yeah. Kind of a model for that. Well, a voluntary system would, would just be taking, um, would, would be getting rid of the payroll tax and just telling people, hey, look, be responsible this money that we're taking from you we're not going to take it from you anymore um, but you should um, put it into retirement saving savings accounts and what we would have to do is we'd have to slowly transition from the program because there are people who haven't saved who are currently dependents on the program who it wouldn't be realistic to tell them to save now because they're already retired so what you'd have to do is you'd have to move it to the state level and you'd have to block grant it until those people either until you don't have to fund those people uh, people's benefits anymore because y you die at some point um, so then you wouldn't have to fund those beneficiaries beneficiaries anymore and then at the state level they'd either keep the program going and make tweaks where they deem necessary or in certain states it would cease to exist um, completely but there's no uh, make no mistake it is not um, it, it's not going to be able to keep going under the federal 
the way it is under the federal system right now. Um, I was talking to uh, I have many many friends who are on the left. They don't believe Social Security is going to exist when we can take money out. I'm I um, I'm I'm 19 years old. Um, people my age don't left and right don't believe Social Security is going to exist when they are old enough to actually take out benefits for it. Now we're contributing to those programs through the payroll tax, but we don't even think that's going to be here for us. We don't think it's going to exist. We think it's going to collapse because it's 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 not. Um, you can't support it just with demographic changes from 1940s to now and how it's set up. It is not sustainable. I mean, you could tweak it and make it solvent, but it, that's not how it is now, and there's no incentive to do that. Um, so I, I think it's going to end up collapsing because yeah. anyone who tries to tweak it, um, um, either does not have the support to get it done or if they run to president on that platform historically now this may change as it gets worse but historically because it's out of sight out of mind everyone likes a program um, if you run on that platform you don't win last person who tried doing that of course was Mitt Romney Mitt Romney ran on reforming not not solely of course but he was the last person to run on um, Reforming Social Security and making it solvent, and it was and it was not popular. Yeah. Well, again, this is kind of back to the same root issue. People say, okay, you have a right to have a retirement or whatever, and like, okay, but where does that money come from? It has to come yeah. from somewhere. Yeah. And in the 1940s, you had like seven people, I believe. I, I could be wrong, but the general idea is you had more people working to support the people who were retired but now because the baby the the baby boomers are aging um they're the ratio between people working and people who are retired um so people who contributors and people who are beneficiaries is a lot closer than the seven to one that it used to be and it's about three maybe three to one right now i don't know it, it might be less but it, it's not sustainable mm. uh, and budget items like that, like Medicare, and Medicaid, Social Security, the bulk of which of all three are aren't even things that we pass on a yearly uh, budgetary basis. They're not discretionary spending; they are mandatory spending. So those programs, um, there is a mandate in place that look, we don't vote on this. We just uh, it automatically happens every year. If we want to change that, we have to vote to change that mandate. So that's automatic spending. The stuff that Congress passes in, um, like the House passes in those omnibus bills, that's discretionary spending every year, to, to my knowledge. That's how I understand it. So, and that's discretionary spend, spending. You could cut all of discretionary spending and not really make you'd make a dent in the budget but I, I don't know if it would be um, enough to have a, a reasonable surplus if a surplus you'd have to crunch the numbers I don't remember how much we have of discretionary spending off the top of my head but it's not even the entire military half half the military 
or like some of the military budget's mandatory, some of it's discretionary. Yeah, it's definitely the bu the budget's a mess. The whole the whole system. No, the budget's the budget's a huge mess. Um, and everyone knows that the budget's a mess. That's why there's all these clips of Joe Biden in the 1970s. Um, saying, "Oh, look, we have to we have to rein in social security spending," and now um, he has to go on a on an apology. He had to go on an apology tour for all of his past beliefs um, when he ran for president this time around, like the crime bill, which I I oppose the crime bill, but yeah. he did uh, he did also talk about things like reforming social security um, back in like the seventies and eighty the seventies and eighties, um, where he said we have to rein in the spending. And now he's and now he has to go around apologizing for it. Yep, it's because he's on it now. <laughs> actually, actually, um, he found. Uh, I remember when the the um, there was that whole the Trump scandal with his income taxes. Oh yeah, yeah. I forget how much what it was. What was it like eleven hundred or something? It was some stupid low number. It was the point. Um, the hundred. The, the Biden. I don't know if it was just Joe Biden or if it was Joe and Jill. I mean, they probably file. Yeah, they file together. Um, they actually don't pay payroll tax. I believe. Man, I want to do that. I believe they found it. I believe they found it. Now they're not doing it illegally. They found a loophole to not pay it, but yeah, they don't pay it. So, else. yeah. So, um, yeah, if, if Joe Biden yeah they don't. That, I would vote for him. <laughs> just shared that with the rest of the country. Yeah, well, I mean, like I remember when Ron Paul ran. Um, he ran, he was like, "Look, we should have people opt out of the payroll tax if they and if they don't want the benefits afterwards." And then they'll, and then people and then people would be like, "Well, if you let people opt out, the program's not going to be. You're not gonna have the money for the program." And and. It's like we already don't. <laughs> we already don't. <laughs> They'll be handling their own money probably more efficiently. When it comes to yeah, but yeah, like adding more money doesn't help because it's not getting used well anyways. So if you add more, it just gets wasted another way. Oh, the oh, and fraud and fraud and abuse of Social Security, uh, Medicare and Medicaid, um, is is very rampant, and we send money to either people who don't qualify wrong people or dead people a lot now I'm not gonna act like it's a huge um, proportional portion of that budget but it is a sizable amount per capita to the point where like look if I gave you this amount of money you'd be able to live for the rest of your life like very lavishly <laughs> yeah. I'm running like this Okay, huh? No, you're not. I, I was just gonna say personally, like this this uh doctor I knew before she got arrested, um, got arrested for like four hundred thousand in like either Medicaid or Medicare fraud. Oh wow! Like just that one person that that I knew got arrested for that. I was like, oh my Jesus! Like, I know in in proportion to the entire Medicaid or Medicare, I don't remember which it was budget. It's not a lot of money, but on an individual level, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's still $400,000 you're stealing. And yeah. there's plenty of other people doing it. And that's, you know, maybe that's, in total, maybe that's 100 bucks a person a year or something. But that's still, like, what would you do? You know, 
if all, if you can get that hundred bucks back or something. That's still yeah. hundred bucks. Well, if you say like the average person pays like five thousand in taxes, which might be correct, it seems it sounds familiar to me, so it might be correct or it might be around the actual number. But around people pay like five thousand dollars a year in taxes. That is, um, I was I'm attempting to do quick math in my head, but I suck at math. So <laughs> that's a lot of people still. That's a lot of people's taxes. I think uh, Joe Jorgensen ran on an opting out from uh, payroll tax, or social security tax, or something. Well, yeah, just the Libertarian Party platform there for any tax cut. And I'm not even, I'm, and if I'm honest, I'm not for any tax cut. Um, I'm for any tax cut that does not then result in a deficit. So I'm for the Trump tax cuts, but I wouldn't have voted for them at the time that they were passed because they result in a deficit and a deficit on all the deficit is a future tax because mm. right. yeah, you're going to have to spend future tax money on it and um, pay for also interest which doesn't actually uh, interest is basically wasted money because <laughs> you're going to pay off money you borrowed it's not actually providing a service to anyone yeah like, yeah, like you see like well someone just noticed like yeah like in my history book I was reading, right, and it was like, you know, the World World War One was funded partially by taxes and partially by bonds. It's like, no, it's 100% by taxes, just taxes and future taxes. Like, people don't get that. You know, when yeah. the government takes out a bond, you, yes, they pay that money back to you, but then they tax you that money. Like, you aren't actually getting that money. Yeah, and I believe, uh, I believe it was World War Two. like, uh, the UK just finished off paying its debts, like, a couple years ago. Yeah. For I believe I believe World War Two. So it took it took them like um, over half a century just to pay off that war. So every deficit is a future tax, whether it's a whether it's um, taken out of a government uh, program in the future, which is tax money, or if you don't have the money on hand, you either have to raise taxes which is a tax obviously or inflation print money which is a tax on savings which is a, an, yes an indirect tax on savings because by inflating you make everyone's money worth less in order to have you as the government have more money especially the poor are affected by that I've said this in a previous episode but yeah the poor and people on fixed and the people on fixed incomes who are the elderly. So the elderly are an example of people on fixed incomes, especially those on Social Security who get monthly checks. For people on disability, those are also people on fixed income. They have a fixed number, which unless changed in, in the code by law is not pinned to inflation. And I believe Social Security is pinned to inflation. I could be wrong. But still, um, if you have a fixed income and then everything becomes more expensive, your fixed income, by definition, has less value. Yeah. And that's why minimum wage, uh, minimum wage, um, is it it hurts the youngest and the oldest, especially because older people on fixed incomes, and then when everything becomes more expensive, their uh, retirement savings or the monthly checks they get are worth less. And younger people who don't have that much of a resume, don't have that many skills on said resume, 
are um, basically their skill set is underneath the price floor of the minimum wage, so they can't actually acquire a job. Yeah, and like, yeah, like I've worked for federal minimum wage before. You know, is it nice to work for that little? No, but it's a job, and yeah. it's not easy to get a job sometimes when you know if it gets to like fifteen dollars an hour, and even nowadays to get a job for fifteen dollars an hour it's not going to be even that easy if the minimum wage were to get raised to that because when everybody has to get paid for that you actually can't you can no longer hire the minimum wage people so like everybody has to get paid more and it's just less money in the pool overall yeah well and also um fifteen dollars an hour is a lot different depending on what state you live in fifteen dollars an hour in california isn't even a living wage Yep. They talk about living wage, but living wage means different depending on how expensive things are in the state you live in. Um, also, um, the the minimum wage generally makes um, cost of living more expensive. If the cost of living um, is currently above that, uh, is currently under that minimum wage, um, if that for a lack of better way to explain that. So like uh, like a minimum wage, if you set a $15 minimum wage in a state that is already expensive to live in, like raising the 15, uh, like a state that has a $14 minimum wage raise, $15 minimum wage won't affect it much because it's already expensive to live in that state. Making a $15 minimum wage, but that is currently on the current minimum wage, um, which would raise it by, the minimum wage in that state by like 50 percent would um would really um inflate the um economic value of that state so you make things more expensive you make it harder for people to get jobs and also you encourage um people being replaced by machines you encourage people like McDonald's, which remember five years ago when we didn't see any <laughs> cell phone um, self um, cashiers, the electronic yeah, cashier yeah. systems, where now they just um, put in four machines. They get rid of three cashiers. They only have one cashier there to collect money, and then they have that cashier do other things like clean when no one else is there in order to cut down on cost. Yeah, automation's a big problem with um, minimum wage. Now, automation and, um, and industrialization is a big positive. It's a net positive, but when it's forced by um, regulation indirectly through things like the minimum wage, it's very damaging because you want it to come in slowly so it helps people, so it lifts people out of poverty and makes it easier to produce things, but it doesn't take people's jobs quickly so people can adapt. But by artificially setting a price floor, like the minimum wage, price floor on wages, um, you incentivize people to automate quicker, which um, which hurts people who have a, a lower skill set, who are trying to enter the economy and acquire skills in order to um, climb the economic ladder. Oh, you can go ahead. oh no, I'm I'm not saying anything. I'm just listening. 
Yeah, no, like a minimum wage job really, like people say it's not a living wage, but you really should not be, you know, that's a minimum wage job really is something you should be, you know, when you're a teenager you get that, you build your resume and you get some skills from that job, but it's, that shouldn't be like a job that you're, you know, that's like your primary wage earning. You should yeah. be, while you're working those jobs, right, you're supposed to be trying to get something that, you know, you're, you're already maybe making $15 an hour just because, not because it's mandated, but because you've built up a skill set that people are willing to pay that much for. Yeah. Well, the percent of jobs that are above the minimum wage is actually quite high. Yeah. But by... Like McDonald's. Yeah. They already pay way above the minimum wage. Well, they, it depends on the state you live in. But, um... In my state. I mean, yeah. In Virginia, yeah. the minimum wage is seven twenty-five. the federal minimum. Yeah. It depends. It depends where. It depends where you live. But yes, um, if if you um, having a little bit of a brain fart right now. Yeah, if you if you raise the minimum wage, it's it's just it's a huge mess. Yep. <laughs> I'll leave the minimum wage at that. It's a huge mess. <laughs> oh, you also make. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I remember now. People who, since the vast majority of people work above minimum wage, by raising the minimum wage, you also make their work less valuable, and they need a pay increase above the minimum wage. Because if someone's, say, working already for $15 an hour because they provide more valuable service in the eyes of the business owner than someone who is currently paying, let's say, 12 and then you increase um, the person who's making 12's wage, wage artificially at 15, the person who's already being paid 15 is like, look, are you going to give me a $3 raise now? Um, because you valued my service a lot more than um, this, this other service before. But the whole point of minimum wage jobs is that, what are they? They're entry-level jobs. And what's the point of entry level jobs? They're to build skills, like I already said, in order to get non entry jobs, which pay more. So it does precisely what um, making, um, inflating basically the worth of a college degree. If everyone has a college degree, it's worthless. It becomes a new high school degree. So then the new entry job, uh, entry job wage of $15 an hour. Um, becomes basically nothing. And that's why the fight for the minimum wage doesn't die. <laughs> it always comes back maybe a decade down the line after it gets raised. <laughs> because you always need more. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even support a minimum wage at all. I'd have it be zero. No, I, I believe I believe it's immoral. But, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't think you affect anything by getting rid of it, per se. Like, if you have a minimum wage that's been sitting there for a long time, um, you may as well, like, getting rid of it doesn't really change much because the economy's already adapted to it, and it's been sitting there. So the only thing that you're going to do by getting rid of it is allowing people to, because let's, let's be real, we all know a lot of people who work under the table. Those people will just become legal workers. Yeah. So it, it doesn't really change much. Yeah, so um, like what if you're 10 years old or something, you want to get a job? Maybe somebody doesn't even want to pay you the minimum wage, but they're willing to pay you like five bucks an hour or something. Then you know. Yeah. Well, five is better than zero. Five right, is better exactly. than zero. No one can force you to work for them. Mm -hmm. 
And when, when you're 10, 10 years old, five bucks an hour, not that bad. Yeah, and if Being you're 10 skills, years old, you gain a little bit of cash. Yeah, when you're also not doing much, <laughs> probably. Yeah, exactly. Right. Probably doing a little trivial thing. Um, right, that's probably what you're worth. Or maybe not even yeah. that. Yeah, well, yeah, the service you provide is worth less than it would be. But that's just a fact. <laughs> like, that's why people who work on oil rigs, who literally live on the oil rigs, can't go home and see their families, and they work a dangerous job, get paid more than someone who sweeps at McDonald's. Yep. That's just the fact of value. I think big, the bigger the company, normally the more they can afford to pay workers, more than they're worth the company. I think so. Like compared to like a small business, the they probably can't afford to have many, if any, workers paid far above what they're worth. So that's kind of another example of minimum wage, especially for the fifteen hurting more or less the areas that is trying to help. Yeah. It hurts small businesses. Yeah, well, um, what, uh, like Jeff Bezos, for instance, lobbies um, for minimum wage increases. And why is that? Because it is a um, way to fight competition. If smaller businesses who are competitors can't afford to pay their employees more and they're already at the margins and by um, increasing the minimum wage, you either force them to cut the hours of their employees and do some things themselves, well, do more things themselves, either in or either cut employees entirely or raise prices, which might make them uncompetitive if they do raise prices. Then what happens? You get rid of competition. You make your competition less viable. And then, since Amazon can't afford it, What's the game plan after they're gone? The game plan is to then replace their workers with machines. And then they, they automate after they've get, gotten rid of the competition. And then they don't have to pay that minimum wage. Because you know how much I got to pay a Roomba to sweep my house? None. I got I to gotta pay for installment and then nothing. I got to pay to get it and then that I just let it do its thing. And that's how you create a monopoly. Cool. Yeah, so I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of out of stuff to say. Um, Matthew, you've got some more uh, questions or no, 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 some more ideas? Think of, I've been out of stuff to say more or less for like 20 minutes at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if you, if you have any kind of last things you want to say, conservatarian. No, just thanks for having me on. No, yeah, I totally. I, I have a lot of I have a lot of fun with these things. Yeah. Well, definitely. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Definitely. Yeah, I'm glad to be your first guest on. Uh, it's it's always fun to do these things. Love coming on, just having good conversations with people and help people out who are trying to build something. It's all, it's just it's just a fun thing to do. It's really it's really a fun, nice thing to do. So I, I really enjoy it and I'm, again I'm grateful for you guys having me on. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you have any if y'all out there have any questions or uh, comments, concerns or confessions, you can always uh, 
email us at AmericanPhilosophers at gmail.com. Yeah, and make sure to go follow Conservatarian. His at is at ConservatarianAmerican. Go follow him on Instagram. Yep, Conservatarian.American. Yep, we'll put his put his at in the episode description, so go look for it there. Definitely follow him. I already explained at the beginning, but yeah, if you're anywhere kind of conservative, libertarian, or if you're not and you're looking for somebody from that perspective, see what they think, go follow him. Great. I love him. I follow him myself. Have for a long time. Always love his stuff. So that was it. Um, thanks for listening to our fourth episode. Uh, tell us what you think.